I'm Dan, if I haven't met you before, um, I'll be speaking uh, from that passage in Jonah chapter 1 this week. Uh, but as we come to that, please pray with me. Father, we do want to thank you so much for your word. We so need it um, so that we might understand ourselves aright, um, so that we might have um, hope as well. And Father, we do pray that as we look at your word this evening, you would speak clearly to us. Uh, speak directly to our hearts, we pray, God. Please help us to uh, see ourselves as we really are. A little more clearly, but we pray at the same time that you would show us a wonderful vision of your heart for the world and indeed for us. Please give us ears to hear. Please help me speak. Amen. Friends, we need, quite desperately, um, a bit of mirror and a bit of window in our lives. Uh, We need a mirror so that we have an accurate um, perception of ourselves, right? We need a window so that we don't just look at ourselves but look beyond ourselves. We sometimes get that a bit wrong, the mirror and the window thing. Uh, If you're anything like me, you have. You've looked into the window to try to kind of fix your hair a little bit like that, and someone's been looking through the window at you. Oh, it's a bit awkward. Um, Worse is when you look into a mirror and you think it's a window. That's weird. But friends, we need mirror and we need window because we need to see ourselves as we truly are, and we need to look beyond ourselves. Jonah is a classic story which packs a punch, and he has both mirror and window. Um, I'm going to be preaching from chapters 1 and 4 over the next four weeks. Tim's going to do chapter 2 and 3. In my two chapters, we're going to get this real insight into Jonah's heart, up close and dirty. As we look at his heart, we're going to have a mirror held up to us. Uh, We're going to see our own hearts all too clearly. It could be a bit painful. But Jonah's not going to leave us depressed because he's also going to open a great big window and let us look out on the heart of our great God, his grace and mercy towards us and his world. We need this. Without a mirror, we're self-deceived. Without a window, we're self-absorbed. We need these two things. So as we look at chapter 1 this evening, what we're going to see firstly is Jonah doesn't have a heart for the lost. Because, secondly, he doesn't have a heart for God. And then thirdly, we're going to see the heart of God. Uh, We're going to see that Jesus uh, has God's heart for the lost. But let's first turn to this first point. Jonah's heart isn't for the lost. Uh, We see that most clearly in this chapter because God compares Jonah's heart with the hearts of these dodgy pagan sailors, and he doesn't come up very well. But let's let's start at verse 2, exactly with the, the, the command, the commission to this prophet. I want you to notice three commands as I read this verse. Verse 2, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me, he says. Notice the three things. Get up. Go to Nineveh. Seriously? Nineveh? The capital of Assyria? These foreigners? They're actually our enemies? Really? Go there? Okay. And third, call out against them. The word there is preach, but literally it's call out against them. For their wickedness has confronted me, and I am the judge of all the earth. So how does Jonah respond? Well... Verse 3, however, Jonah got up, good start, that's number one, to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Instead of going northeast by land, 
He goes west, west by boat. He completely disobeys the Lord. But obviously, as we've heard, God is not finished with him. He chases him down and hurls this great storm after Jonah. Uh, let's see what happens. Verse 5. Verse 5. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. So how do these guys begin? They're afraid. They call out. Ominous word. Exactly what Jonah was called to do, right? Call out. Sure, they're calling on the wrong gods. Verse 14, they call on Yahweh, the right God. Sure, they're not preaching, but they're calling out. They're doing the right thing compared to Jonah, who verse 5 is asleep in the bottom of the boat. Look what happens next, verse 6. The captain approached him, shook him a little bit. What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Notice any familiar words there? He's saying exactly what God said to Jonah. Get up, call out. The pagans are showing Jonah up. You know, it's almost like the boat is a mini Nineveh. God says to Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh, call out, for they're in danger of being destroyed by me. And then the sailor says, get up, call out, for we're all in danger of being destroyed. And what does Jonah do in this little picture of Nineveh on the boat? What does he do? There's no indication that he does anything. Doesn't call out. Probably goes back to sleep, I'm not sure. You see his heart for the lost? He won't lift a finger. Verse 7. They draw lots. They want to figure out who's responsible for this. It falls to Jonah. And they say, what should we do with you, Jonah? Our destiny, our future is all tied up in you. What should we do to you for our sake, for our future, for our security and protection? What are we going to do to you? He says, chuck me in. Would you do it? If you were on the boat, would you do it? You're on Sydney Harbour, you're coming home after work, there's a bit of a storm on the sea, you're on the ferry. Someone says, well, chuck me in. Would you do it? I hope not. <laughs> I think you'd do verse 13. Although it doesn't quite work with the analogy. But you know, verse 13, what do they do? Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They tried, they worked to try to protect this foreign random guy called Jonah. Wouldn't you do that? It's just human, right? What will Jonah do to protect these foreign sailors? He won't even get up and call out. Nineveh, as a great city, is about to be destroyed by the wrath of God because of their sin. What will he do? Nothing. This is where the mirror comes in. Friends, by the grace of God, we have been called to be like Jonah, to be like Israel. 
that we might speak to our world which is in danger of being destroyed. For the sin of all people has confronted God. He is aware of it. He knows our hearts better than we do. Our world is in danger of being destroyed. In fact, it is being destroyed. It is destroying itself. We have words of eternal life. And what are we doing with them? I hope we are speaking them. Friends, I too often feel that I, I don't speak. I don't even care sometimes. I waver. I'll tell you, I waver. Sometimes I really do care for the lost. I have a great heart for them. Other times, I really just don't care. Oof. It's true. That's my heart, like Jonah. I met up with some guys from another church during the week, leaders of a different kind of church, which I... I'd probably, in my judgmentalism, look down upon, but they completely showed me up by their heart for those on the outskirts of society who are far, far, far from God. I had a little Jonah experience of my, of my own. Friends, we're looking through Acts at the moment. We're going to get back to Acts in a little while. We've been understanding how the word of God moves out. We've been understanding the theology of, of the patterns of what's happening and everything like that. Are we speaking it, though? Are we doing Acts? That's the question. Friends, before, actually, this passage, I'm going to kind of back up a little bit. Because before this passage is a mirror to us showing us our own hearts, it's also a mirror to Israel. And this is the original readers, this is Israel. Jonah actually means dove, which was a, a name for Israel. They, they were God's dove. Um, uh, and, and they were meant to see themselves through Jonah. This is their mirror. This is who they are. See, just as Jonah was sent with a message to a world in danger, just as we have a message for a world that is being destroyed, so Israel, they were to be God's rescue plan for a world uh, that was dying. And yet, God holds up this mirror for them of Jonah and says, this is you guys, this is what you're like. You're not taking, you don't care. We have this great picture here in verse 3 and 5 of, of Jonah, of Israel, and of us. We have a great and a high calling to be God's mouthpiece to this world. But look what happens. Look at, look at this, verse 3. High calling, however, Jonah got up to flee from Tarshish, from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it. And then verse 5, halfway through, Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Do you see this? High call, down, 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 asleep. This is a deep kind of sleep. It only happens a few times in the Bible. Remember Adam's, Adam and Eve back in the garden? Adam falls into a deep sleep and a rib gets taken out of his side. Do you remember that? This is the kind of sleep. Dead to the world kind of sleep. The ones I like to have sometimes. Jonah was meant to be for the sake of the world. He's dead to the world. Brothers and sisters, may this not be us. We are for the sake of the world. We must not be dead to it. 
You know, friends, I don't think the problem for us is, is up here. I think the problem's in here. At least it is for me. And that's our next point, actually. Um, Jonah's heart isn't for the lost because, point two, Jonah's heart isn't for God. That's the big issue. Um, if your heart is beating in time with God's heart, you have a heart for the lost. Because God's heart is very much for the lost, and we'll see more of that in just a moment. But where, where's, where's Jonah at before God? Where, where's he at in his relationship with God? Look with me again, verse 3. Again, there's lots of repeated words in Jonah. Here's another repeated one. Verse 3. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And the verse ends with this line. He paid the fare and went down into it uh, to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. The Lord's presence isn't just a location, though, is it? It's like this is the Lord's presence over here. And I'm out of the Lord's presence. It's not like that. It's like a relationship thing, right? Have you ever had a really bad experience with someone and you kind of want to drive them out of your consciousness and so you kind of leave where they are physically, but more importantly, you're trying to just block them out. You you don't want to be in a relationship with them. That's Jonah. And you can see it in the fact that he will not call out to God. He won't call out to God. He doesn't want to bring himself before God. He'd rather die, be thrown into the sea, than come into God's presence. And once again, his, his heart is shown up compared to the sailors. Look, look with me at verse 9. Verse 9, they've just asked him all about himself, and he answers them in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid. Literally, they feared a great fear and said to him, what is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told them. I just want you to notice there, there's a little uh, letter there next to the word worship. I think it's an I, which if you follow down to the bottom, it's literally the word fear. And so we have these, these two moments of fear. Verse 9, Jonah says, I fear the Lord. And in verse 10, the sailors fear a great fear. Do you think Jonah actually fears the Lord? We talked about fear just the other week. Paul uh, preached on that. He said fear is not just this terror kind of thing. It's not like, oh, a monster, run away. It's not that kind of fear. It's fear like, oh my goodness, look at that canyon. That's incredible. Draw a bit nearer. This fear which kind of but draws us near. Does Jonah have that fear of the Lord? I don't think he does. Doesn't come into the Lord's presence. Doesn't obey the Lord. But then verse 10, these pagan sailors really do fear the Lord. Look with me at verse 14, how the, how the, the chapter ends. Verse 14. So these sailors called out to the Lord, please Yahweh, Don't let us perish because of this man's life who they're about to chuck in the water. Don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. You see, that's genuine fear, right? 
They, they are devoted to Yahweh. They fear him and they are devoted to him. Jonah's heart is completely shown up. He doesn't fear God. He won't draw near to him. So is there any surprise that his heart is not with God's heart for the lost, for the world? Of course not. Well, friends, again, let, let, let's grab hold of this and sort of turn the mirror over onto Israel. Because Israel are meant to see themselves here, and this is absolutely right. They do not fear the Lord. They don't want to be in his presence. And we've got to ask ourselves, if this is the case, if this is Israel, God's rescue plan, and they don't have God's heart, what hope is there for the world? It's pretty stuffed, isn't it? What hope is there? We all depend upon Israel. Well, the hope is that that's not quite true. The hope is we don't entirely just depend upon Israel. When I was young, um, and I was really frustrated at home, really angry, ugh, I'd, kind of, I'd run out the back garden and kick a soccer ball. I'd kick the stuffing out of it to you know, feel a bit better. And I'd kick it at a, tra- at a um, sorry, a, what do you call it, a slippery dip. And it would kind of hit the angle and shoot up in the air, and I'd be, get the frustration out. One day, I ran outside, and I was really angry, and I kicked the soccer ball, and it hit the bottom of the slippery dip and came straight back at me. You know what I mean? Some of you have felt this thing before. It didn't really help my anger, if you know what I mean. I was like doubly angry. Oh, my goodness. I just wonder if that's how Jonah is feeling at the end of this chapter. Do you know what I mean? The last thing he wants to do is see pagans converted. He'll run a million miles before he wants to see that happen. What happens? <laughs> the pagans are all converted. Brilliant. I think he's probably a bit annoyed about how things work out. Um, but I think that's brilliant. I think it's wonderful that God will work his, his plan of salvation in this world despite us. That's wonderfully liberating. It is entirely God's work. It's up to him. It's his work. And we see that most clearly and wonderfully in the Lord Jesus, who we're going to talk about in just a second. But before we do, we've turned the mirror on Israel. We need to turn the mirror on ourselves, about our heart before God. Because you see, if we don't have a heart for the lost, what does that say about your heart towards God? You and me. If you have no mercy towards the broken and those far from God, no kind of grace towards those you know, your family, friends, neighbors who don't know the Lord, what does that say about our hearts before God? Is it possible that like Jonah, we know the right doctrine, we can say the right things about God? He said, I'm a Hebrew, I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the earth and the sea, great. Great theological answer. Excellent. Full marks. Is it possible that we're the same? We know the details, the doctrines, don't have a heart for God or the lost. My wife, Liv, um, once did this uh, prison ministry thing. Uh, she went into a women's prison and, and told people about Jesus. At one of the training days, um, she, she'd had a few training days beforehand, and she'd, she'd come home afterwards and said to me, some of the women I'm going in with, some of these other women doing this with me, their doctrine's a little bit wobbly around the edges. Look down on them. 
but they love the Lord and they love people and they put me to shame, said Liv. Friends, it's possible that we know all about grace, but we're not gracious to the lost because we don't bathe ourselves personally in the Lord's grace. I know for sure that when I am walking in close communion with the Lord, in prayer, calling out to him in prayer, in his word, that's when my heart beats along with his heart. It swells rather than shrivels towards the lost. A heart for the lost comes from having a heart like the Lord's. And that comes from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And that's where I want to go now. A third point. Jesus' heart is God's heart for the lost. Um, have you ever put on the wrong shoes? You put the right shoe on the left foot and the left foot. You've done that before? And you try to walk around and it's just, it kind of works, but it's a little bit awkward. You feel like a duck kind of waddling a bit. You've done that before? I assume no one's saying yes. I'm the only idiot. That's all right. That's fine. I'm happy to be that. That often happens when you read the Old Testament. You put the wrong shoes on. You, you kind of try to find the character in the story that you should identify with, and you stand in their shoes. But sometimes you put them on, and it kind of feels a bit awkward, like you're walking with the wrong shoes on. I think we do that if we make ourselves Jonah in this story only. If we're only Jonah, I think we get things a bit wrong. We put on the shoes of Jonah, we see ourselves as Jonah, we've been doing that the whole sermon so far, and we feel pretty bad about ourselves. And there's truth in that, and that's good and right. But before we do that, before we're Jonah, we're the sailors. They're the shoes we should have on. We are the sailors in a boat in great danger. Because, friends, our sin has confronted the Lord, the judge of all the earth. He knows your heart. He knows it's evil better than you do. He feels it more acutely than you do. Your sin has come up before him. And you're in danger. Our world is in danger of the wrath of God poured out against sin. Our world is already being destroyed. I don't know if you've noticed this. Families are being destroyed. Lives are being destroyed. They're falling apart. Whole people groups are being destroyed. Our, our, our environment is being destroyed. Maybe you, you kind of feel this in your life. I'm not sure. We are like the sailors on this ship. That's us. So who, first of all, is Jonah then? Who should put on Jonah's shoes? Praise God, the Lord Jesus. He puts on the Jonah shoes. You see, Jesus is Jonah-shaped, but with an entirely different heart. Did you know um, Jonah is the only prophet Jesus explicitly compares himself with? It. Um, Jonah grew up in Geth Hepha, which is just a few miles away from where Jesus grew up. Jesus is like Jonah. He's like a representative Israelite. Can you think of a story that we've looked at in hive groups recently about Jesus, which is a lot like chapter one here? Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples who are sailors. A great storm blows up. They're afraid. And so they call out to God, that is Jesus, Master, don't you care if we drown? Well, 
did Jonah's, the sailors on Jonah's boat, when they called out to their gods, did the gods care? No. When they called out to Jonah and said, get up, call out to your God, did he care? No. But that is not our God. Our God cares for the lost. This is his heart. He cares for the lost. And so the Lord Jesus stands up and does something about it. He protects his people. He rebukes the wind and says to the waves, quiet, be still. And then he turns to his disciples and says, why were you so afraid? Don't you trust me? And friends, if that is us, if we are the sailors on that boat, then the question comes to us, don't you trust me? Don't you trust that I am able to save? Don't you trust that I am willing, that I actually care for you? Don't you trust that I want your good? Do you trust that, friends? Do you think God is like Jonah, that he's unwilling and doesn't care for you? Or do you believe that he is actually like this? He cares. I've been reading Jeremiah recently and came across these words. And God says to his people, he says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will never again turn away from me. Do you believe that? That that's the heart of our Jonah? That Jesus? I will never turn away from doing good to them. I will take delight in them to do good for them. And with all my heart and mind, I will faithfully plant them in this land. That is our God. That is his heart for us. His heart for his people. His people who once were lost, but he has reached out to. That's what we see of the Lord Jesus on this boat. And it becomes even clearer when you think, where was Jesus going on this boat? He was going to the Decapolis. Pagans, enemies. And what was he going to do when he got there? He was going to cast out evil from amongst them and bring them the good news of freedom through him. God has a heart for the lost. We see it in Jesus. We see it most clearly when he gives his life for the lost at the cross to rescue us. Because you see, we have a messenger who is Jonah-shaped, but with a totally different heart. A God we see in Jesus who has a great heart for the lost, for you, to do good to you. He irrepressibly seeks your good. Because perhaps tonight you know you're someone who is lost still. You're in danger of, of, of his wrath upon you because your sins come up before him. I want to urge you to fly to him, to call out to him. Jesus, rescue me. He is so willing. Perhaps you feel like if you come into his presence, you kind of become conscious of him, bring him into your consciousness, if you will, that he will scold you. Not at all. His heart is for the lost people like you. Call out to him. Perhaps some of you uh, feel like you've had the mirror held up to you tonight and you've seen your heart in Jonah and you're not happy about that. What should we do? Well, we should repent. We should confess our sin. In just a moment, we're going to actually have a confession come up on the screen. We're going to watch a quick video which reminds us of that mirror 
and then we're going to say a prayer of confession together. And that's the right thing for us to do. But then, friends, once you've looked in the mirror, look out the window, please. Don't just look in the mirror. Look out the window. See the great heart of your God for you, his graciousness, his mercy, that he loves the lost and he wants you to be in his presence. See Jesus dying for your sake. And friends, once you've looked in the mirror and you've looked out the window, call out. Call out to God for the lost of the world. Call out to God for the lost of the world. We're actually going to do that after we've said the confession. We're going to have open prayer. We'll have a chance to call out to God for the lost of this world or for whatever else is on your heart as well. And secondly, so firstly, call out to God for the lost of this world. And, and secondly, call out to the lost of this world for God. Call out to them. They need that. So friends, we're going to watch a quick video. And then I'll jump back up here. We'll say a confession together. And there'll be a chance for you to pray openly. Lead us in prayer. Please just say that in a loud voice. Pray for the lost of this world or whatever else is on your mind. But we'll start with this video.